right, good morning, church family. So glad that was a trick pop quiz. And uh, hope you're doing well this morning. If you're joining us online as well, thanks for being here. If you have your sermon notes, go ahead and grab those out. Uh, today we're going to be continuing uh, our series called Home for Christmas. And today I want to talk to you, uh, title the sermon, going to jump right in. I uh, want to get through some text and we have something on the back end that I think uh, God's going to move in this place and through your life. And I titled the sermon today, Stop Living in Chaos and Start Living in Peace. And I put the statement in there, stop living in chaos and start living in peace. And I thought, this is a long title, but I need you to know that today I believe by faith that, um, that God wants to invite you to stop living in chaos and start living with peace. And I intentionally didn't put in living in peace, but with peace, because I will talk to you in a little bit about that. A couple of weeks back, I think I might have told you this, I can't recall, uh, but me and my family were sitting at the dinner table and we were talking about uh, different words that we had to come up with that would um, define our family. Did I tell you this? Maybe not. And so we all had different words, and so some kids were saying kind, and some kids were saying, you know, loud, and so everybody had these different words to describe our family. And the three words I came up with was chaotic Christian community. And so everybody started laughing and said, that's exactly what we are. We're a chaotic Christian community. And uh, anybody ever feel like they live in chaos? Chaos, by the way, means disorder. Disorder. It just feels like things are often out of order, and Chris is here, and the kids are there, and I'm there, and it's just constant moving and going, especially throughout the week, and it just feels like sometimes a lot of chaos. And I, honestly, as I reflected on this whole talk today, one of the words I heard the most um, from many of you and from just many people in my life or surrounding me in ministry or just dealing with people was the word anxiety. It just seems like anxiety is a pressing issue in 2023 for many people. And um, even for me personally, I experienced some anxiety. I'll talk about that a couple years ago. And my wife, I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it seems like anxiety seems at a high, that a lot of people are facing or battling some forms of depression or anxiety. You know, worry, by the way, is the enemy of peace. Did any of you worry in 2023? The whole middle section, you are fantastic. I don't have my glasses on. What is your secret? Did you worry at all in 2023? The right and left are a little messed up, but everybody in the middle is sanctified and saved. Christians, this is where the Holy Spirit is. We'll, <laughs> we'll get them out wide in a minute, okay? Um, you have your Bible? You have your phone, app. You have your Bible, your sermon notes. Mark chapter four is where we're gonna be. Stop living in chaos and start living in peace. This is a famous story. Many of you have heard it or read it. Some of you may never have, but I wanna read it to you today. But I'm gonna read to it from the New King James Version, which you know is really good preaching coming when I'm reading from the New King James Version, okay? Really spiritual. Okay, here we go. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, that's the crowd that he was preaching to, they took him along in a boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. Verse 37 says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. So it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I don't know why this stood out to me, but I'm convinced it wasn't my pillow. And uh, I just started thinking, like, 
I see that guy's face, you know? I don't know why I said that, but. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus made a promise that they were gonna get to the other side. His word was spoken, and so he knew in his own heart, in his own mind, of course, that they were going to make it to the other side. What I find interesting about this is Jonah found himself in a storm because of his disobedience, but the disciples are in a storm because of their obedience, which is really interesting. You would think, well, if I obey him, then storms won't come. But Jesus said, take heart, as we read it a minute ago. In this world, there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's going to be trouble, and sometimes even you can obey God right into a storm, which is really well, wait a second, that's counterintuitive. I feel like that doesn't make sense. But God allows the storm to come in the midst of, of them doing what he wanted them to do. While the disciples are in this storm battling it, Jesus is asleep, the text says, which two parts that I think are important to mention that one speaks to his humanity, that maybe he's asleep, he's certainly human. That's another part of it, though, is he's divine, speaks to his divinity because he knew that he was going to get to the other side. So he has no concern for the storm because he knows he's going to make it while the disciples are thinking we may not make it. But Jesus said, I know we will because I already said we will. So he knows they'll get to the other side. He knows who he is. He has confidence in his own words. He knows that when he says something, it's gonna come to pass. So he has faith. He knows that they're going to make it across. He'd already spoke it. Eventually, Jesus wakes up, but it is interesting that the wind doesn't wake him up. The text doesn't say the wind woke him up. It doesn't say the water woke him up. It doesn't say the storm, the lightning, the thunder, whatever woke him up. It says the voice of his disciples woke him up. Well, my wife and I were, uh, we have four children, but when they were younger, um, and she would have to get up in the nights and do, you know, feeding and different things like that. Um, my wife is a heavy sleeper. Anybody heavy sleepers? Heavy sleepers, like she just... Won't wake up for anything. I wake up. I feel like the sound of anything. But my wife is a heavy sleeper. But when the children were crying at night, she would say, shh, 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 did you hear that? You know, Emery's crying. Lily's crying. I'm like, well, how do you hear that? You know? And I think she heard the cry before they cried. Does that make sense? You know, God is like that. And I think this is something, uh, something we can understand about God is that he hears the cries of his children. It was the voice of the disciples that woke him up. It was the cry of their heart. It was the cry of their voice. But scripture says actually, which is encouraging, and it should be encouraging to you and to me today, that he doesn't just hear the cry, he hears your sigh. The psalmist writes it this way in Psalm 80, or Psalm 38. It says this, you know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every. <sighs> he hears the weight of leadership that you carry on your way to work, the concern about the speech you have to give or the statements you have to make. He hears that. The weight of parenting when no one's listening and you're in your car alone, you're on a walk in the morning, you're outside on your porch drinking a cup of coffee or whatever it may be. Scripture says that he even hears not just the cry, but he hears the... When you think about 
marriage, when you think about finances, when you think about your children, when you think about your child that's away, when you think about the child that you're raising, he hears your sigh. It's encouraging to know. But it even gets more encouraging when we read what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter eight. It said, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, this is the good part. Watch this. Although God, listen, he hears your cry and he hears your sigh, but he does something about your sighs. Watch this. It says, the spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Look at the text right before that. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then the famous line that we all know is, and then we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The reason you can know that God works out all things for the good for those who are called according to his purpose is because when you have no words to say and all you have is a sigh, his Spirit goes to pray for you in accordance with the will of God. So that means every time you, the Spirit's going to work. Isn't that good news? Some of you have prayed, you didn't even know you've prayed. Some of you were like, oh my gosh, I pray a lot. <laughs> man, I'm praying all the time, amen. I'm more righteous and holy than I thought, man. I really am a spiritual person. I just prayed right now. Isn't that good news? that even when you have no words to say, God heard it, and he's so good that he doesn't leave it there. He prays in accordance with the Father's will on behalf of whatever you just, <sighs> man, that's good news. He doesn't just leave you there. Paul's writing to these believers in Rome, the Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't have the words. When we sigh, the Holy Spirit translates our sighs into prayers according to the perfect will of the Father. What I love about the disciples is, although Jesus is in the boat with them, and he's clearly performed some miracles, they're getting to know him and his power, his abilities, he cries out to them, and they start to question his ability. In fact, they get annoyed with him. And I don't know why I wanted to preach on this point, but I felt like some of you got annoyed with God in 2023. Anybody get annoyed with God at all? In 2023, you don't want to lift your hand, do you? Come on, come on. You got annoyed with him a little bit, a little irritated. Um, so they get annoyed with him. Why aren't, you, why aren't you helping, man, pitching in, doing something, you know? Like the two sisters, why don't you tell her to get in, chip in a little bit? You know, they're getting a little frustrated and annoyed because he isn't responding to them the way that they think he should respond to them in the midst of a storm. Has that ever happened to you? Hello, I'm here. I, I, did you not see what the issue is? Did you see how this is and what's happening in my life and what's happening in my job? Did you not know that I lost my job? Did you not know? Did you not know? What's, what's, why aren't you interacting? Why aren't you intervene, intervening? Didn't you see how they treated me? Didn't you see how they spoke to me? Come on, you said that you bring justice on those who are wicked. Now, come on, smite them. Do something. Come on, <laughs> act on my behalf. I'm getting annoyed with you. I told you I wanted out of this calling. I didn't want to end of this calling. Now, come on, switch my jobs. I told you, stop. I don't want to do this. I heard a really loud laugh right there. Anytime you hear a laugh, that just means it's resonating. That's what that means. That means that's you. So, yeah, so they get annoyed with him in the situation, but then it gets 
worse, if you would, it kind of gets a little deeper. Then they begin to question because he's not responding the way they think he should. And this happens to us. He's not responding the way they think he should. And so then they question who he is. They question, does he care about him? Which is a question of who he is. It's a question of his character. Turns real spiritual real fast. And Jesus, being aware of all that's happening, says this in verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, three words, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Two words, rebuke and peace. To show honor and the other means to put a muzzle on it. In some contexts, it could be meant to be put in check. Now, I know this isn't good parenting and I don't necessarily uh, saying that I speak this way to my children, but have you ever told your children, shut your mouth? Oh, no, you don't say that, but you say, would you please close your mouth? You know, you know. Have you ever been tempted to say, close your mouth? Okay, I say, close your mouth. Whenever you tell a child or somebody in authority, and I know there could be nicer ways of saying it, but sometimes, you know, it is what it is. I move on. Um, Close your mouth. What you're trying to do is say, hey, 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 shh, shh, let me speak. The authority is speaking in this very moment, right? When Jesus tells the storm to calm, he's, you're not in the proper place. Calm yourself. Why is that important to understand these two words? Because Jesus uses these same words in another story in Scripture. And so it comes from the story in Luke chapter four, verse 35, watch this. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down into the midst of the people, it came out of him without doing him any harm. The same Greek words are used when Jesus cast out a demon when he calmed the storm. Why do I think that's important? Because as much as this was a weather crisis, it was a spiritual crisis. This was not a war with waves. It was a war with principalities and powers of darkness. This is a much bigger issue. This is a test of their faith. He said, we're going to the other side. Now let me see where your faith is. In the midst of that, a storm comes, a test comes, a spiritual battle begins. Jesus intervenes and he tells the wind and wave exactly what he told the demons. Muzzle it. In other words, I'm putting you in check. You ever put somebody in check? Jesus is putting the waves in check and he puts the demon in check. You know who I am? Now, how do we know this? That this is a test of faith? Because look how Jesus responds in verse 40. It says, but he said to them, to his disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? See, this is a spiritual thing. This is way more than just the story about where Jesus calmed the storm. This is about what he's trying to do in his disciples. And it says they feared exceedingly. One said to the other, now here's the character issue, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus wanted them to have confidence in who he was. Isaiah the prophet has spoken about who he was 700 years prior. Look what Isaiah 9 says. For us to a child is born, to a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he's the only one who could bring peace to earth, to humanity, with God. Romans 5.1, Paul wrote this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two types of peace, and I want to unpack this for just a second. Two types of peace. You can write these into your notes. One is peace with God, and the second one is peace of God, and these are different. This is important to understand because when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, he says, where's your faith at? In other words, you don't trust who I am and I do what I say I'm going to do and I just told you we're going somewhere. You don't know who I am. This is an issue of who. Who can this be? This is the issue and God's trying to bring to the front of the picture, I'm the guy that Isaiah prophesied about. I'm the Prince of Peace. I was before and I am now and I'm coming. I'm trying to reveal to you who I am so that you can have peace in the midst of a storm. Romans 5.1 says, but it all begins with peace with God. And I need you to understand this. Peace with God is this. When he's called the Prince of Peace, the reason he's given that name is because he is certainly Prince. He's the Son of God, but he's the only one who can establish peace with God. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. No one else can bring peace with God. In other words, no one else can reconcile humanity to God, but through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying simply that when Jesus died on the cross and he paid for the sins of humanity, that all of a sudden the relationship between humanity and God could be restored. Now we could have peace with God. Prior to that, sin stained us, jealousy, envy, hatred, pride, all kinds of evil practices that we all battle and face every single day of our lives. We were separate from God. We had no righteousness, righteousness in us. We were not pure. We were not blameless. We were not holy. But now because of the cross, we could be reconciled to Christ through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, we have peace with God again because of the cross. But we have peace with God. This is what it means to be justified by faith, trusting in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we have peace with him. So now we are deemed righteous in his eyes because of the cross. Amen. This is good. We have peace with God. But did you know that you can have peace with God and not have the peace of God? And this is where I want to preach from. You can have peace with God today, but not walk with the peace of God. This is a different kind of peace. And this is what I think Jesus is trying to get at. One, I want you to have peace with me, but I also want you to have peace with me. Like, I want you to have the peace that I have. This is what Jesus comes to invite to the world. That he's inviting you into this. You can have the peace that I have. You can have the peace that's in me, and I can give you this peace, and you can have it, and I can leave it with you, and you can walk in it. This is the peace of God, not just peace with God. What's the peace of God? When we say peace of God, what are we talking about? Philippians 4 helps us understand it. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry because worry is the enemy of peace. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, different, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not about what? This is not about salvation. This is about anxiety. This is about worry. This is about the things that lead into depression. The peace of God, which replaces anxiety in the life of a believer, especially a prayerful believer. But here's the problem. 
it is impossible to experience the peace of God if you don't have peace with God first. If you don't have peace with God, you have no relationship with God, so you can't have his peace. But once you have a relationship with God, you have peace with God, then you can have the peace of God. But just because you have peace with God doesn't mean you have the peace of God. But God wants us to have both, peace with him and the peace of him. But I say, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, you need to understand what the scripture says very clearly in the text of verse seven. It says, this peace of God transcends all understanding. In other words, you can never have the knowledge of this peace. You can't have the peace of God with understanding because you're not God and his ways are higher than your ways. So you can't understand his peace. You can't knowledge your way into his peace. You cannot knowledge your way into his peace. This is something that has to be experienced. Look at your notes. I believe I put it in your notes. The peace of God isn't understood. It's experienced. Peace isn't the absence of problems. It's the presence of Jesus. Notice that Jesus doesn't remove the storm entirely because he allowed it to happen. He saw it coming, but he still allowed it. Peace, a lot of times we think of peace Man, if I could just have this, if I could just get that, then we'll have peace. We think peace is the absence of problems. If we don't have problems in our marriage, then we'll have peace. No, 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 no. You just need the presence of Jesus in your marriage, then you'll have peace. Peace is not about the absence of problems because Jesus said in the heart, you're going to have trouble. In other words, you're going to have a lot of problems. Vicky said, mo money. See? <laughs> You know that more than you know scripture, which is amazing to me. You're like, oh, I know that one. The peace of God isn't understood, it's experienced. Peace isn't in the absence of problems, it's in the presence of Jesus. When people lose their heart, you ever lost your mind in 2023? Anybody lose their mind in 2023? Lost your mind. Anybody know somebody who lost their mind? Yeah, look okay. What's funny is you didn't lose your mind at all all year, but everybody else did. That was hilarious. Come on, you all lose your mind sometimes. Frantic, worry, nervous, fearful, anxiety. So what, is, what are we learning from this? It's important to have understanding to this. The peace of God replaces this, but watch. When people seem to lose their heart and mind, it's connected to the absence of, of the peace of God in their life, not peace with God necessarily, but certainly absence of peace of God. Meaning that when you have anxiety, you don't have the peace of God because you can't have anxiety and have the peace of God at the same time. You can have peace with God. So we're not talking about peace with God, we're talking about the peace of God. The peace of God doesn't act as a guard over the heart and the mind. So the peace of God acts as a heart a guard over the heart and mind, but only when you have the peace of God, which makes it important to understand then how do we get the peace of God? What does that look like? I want to show you a picture. I was going to do the illustration, but I knew I'd run out of time, so I'll show you this picture. This is pretty cool. I didn't know this. I've never personally tested this out, but I saw it happen on a video. I thought it was pretty cool. If you take a glass of water on the bottom, what you see in blue, and you put a whole bunch of salt in this, and you put that on the bottom of the cup, and then if you take water and food coloring and you put the same cup on top of this, that water won't penetrate 
to the salt water, which I thought was really interesting because I think this gives a picture of what it looks like to have the peace of God in your life. So if you have the peace of God in your life, you're like that glass that's like the salt. Didn't Jesus say something about salt? Didn't he sometimes illustrate salt to us, the salt of the earth? When you are filled with salt, if you would, you are filled with the peace of God, anxiety and worry will try to penetrate into you, but it'll act as a guard, it'll protect you. Because you have the peace of God in you. So how do you get this peace of God? So that the anxiety and worry does not penetrate into your mind and into your heart. Three practices I want to give you briefly that I believe can help you and me. Three practices that can bring peace. Number one, and all my OCD people are going to say amen, practice order. Practice order. Why do I say order? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says this, for God is not a God of disorder. Watch but a God of, <laughs> he's a God of peace. It's interesting that it says disorder and peace. Did you notice at the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty. In other words, the word was in chaos. Since the very beginning, God founded the world in chaos and he brought order to it. Since the beginning, God has been on a mission to bring peace to the chaos in our life. It's why Jesus went to the cross, so I could get rid of the chaos of sin and establish peace, bring order again. Some people, oftentimes, we can simply build up anxiety in our life, anxiousness and worry, because things are out of order. Practically speaking, I don't know about you, but practically speaking, it could simply just be the mess in your house. I don't know about you, but when I walk in, it's a mess. It just feels like things are out of order. I gotta get things in order. So it could be a cleanliness thing, but sometimes it's even more than that. Here's my point. You might need to, if you battle anxiety and worry, we wanna stop the chaos in our life. You wanna stop the chaos, start living in a little more order. If your marriage is in chaos, something's out of order. Maybe the date nights aren't there. Maybe the time alone isn't there. Maybe Jesus isn't in the middle of it. I don't know what it may be, but something is out of order. When there's a relationship issue with our children or something in our family, things are out of order. When I've got anxiety in my life, things maybe in my relationship, or I at least need to investigate, are things out of order in my life? Is my time with the Lord right and on time and when the right time is supposed to be? Is he first in my life? If you're fan... If your finances are out of order, maybe the reason why there's no peace in your finances is because they're out of order. I have no peace in my finances. Now watch, this is how it practically works. Just, you could take it for any situation. If I have no peace with where I am financially, it could be because things are out of order financially. So all I gotta go do is see if I'm doing what I'm supposed to first And if I do that first, then peace comes because it's putting things in proper order. Make sense? For some, it might just be an order thing. You know, God is a God of order. When he created the world, he did it in an order. 
when he forms a child, he does it in a order. He is a God of order. Heaven will be clean, amen? I mean, things are gonna be in order. Aren't you excited about that? Yes. Anybody feel, you ever walk in and the house is clean and everything's done? It's like, whew. Man, I wouldn't amen too loud if your wife is next to you. You know, it's, amen. No, just something to think about. Maybe for you, it's things are out of order. Number two, practice scripture. Psalm 85 Verse eight says, I listen carefully to what the God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. He speaks peace. Practice scripture. When you read scripture, it can instill peace into your life. When you say it, it can instill peace into your life because he speaks peace. Number three, practice presence. Peace I leave you what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's a gift. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's different. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I want to share a story with you. I invite the team up and uh, share a story with you. Me personally, I told you a minute ago that personally for me, uh, I battled some anxiety a couple years back. I was um, on a flight uh, from Newark to Ireland. Me and my wife had dreamed of a trip to Ireland in 2021, I think, and um, 2000, yeah, 2021. We were on a flight uh, to Ireland, and a dream trip for us. We had, I mean, waited 10, 15, 12, 13 years for this trip, you know, one of those things, and uh, on a dream trip, and I was going there, and I was going to give her a, a third ring. Uh, we had... Um, so, <laughs> just checking. Um, if it was trumpets, then I'd be more. Whoa. Anyways, <laughs> so I had had this third ring that I wanted to give her, you know, for the wedding band ring, and so I was gonna go and take her to this Cliffs of Mohair. Y'all know the Cliffs of Mohair, man. It's beautiful and man, awesome. So anyways, um, had this whole thing, whole dream trip. We're on the flight over, and uh, we had a late flight, so overnight flight, and um, start falling asleep, and I cannot explain it to you. Um, never had this happen in my life, but I had a panic attack. Middle of flight, you know, middle of the night, two, three in the morning. Um, and I just, I couldn't breathe. I wanted to get off the plane. It was, if you've ever experienced a panic attack, I empathize with you, I guess a little, at least. It was like my chest was caving in. I wanted to get out of the plane. It was so fearful. I mean, it was, I don't know if to this day I've ever had so much fear in my life. So I start, I try to compose myself. I'm trying to like figure out what to do. I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm trying to process everything. And me and Chris were sitting apart. So I go to where Chris is at and I'm, I wake her up because I'm terrified. And I literally feel like I got to get off this plane. I got to get off this plane. I don't know what to do. And she's like, what? what? It's like, it's just fear. And then I tell her, and this is a language that we use all the time in our home. And this is, this is what I genuinely felt at the moment. I just tell Chris, I feel like demons are all over. 
flight for me. And I go back to my seat and I'm trying to fight it, trying to figure out how am I going to get through the next three or four hours of this flight. And I did the only thing I knew to do. And I know this is going to sound like, well, it's because like, this is literally, it's all I knew to do. I just closed my eyes. I said, Jesus. But I wasn't just saying his name. I was clinging to who he is. And I cannot explain it to you in perfect words of what I've felt, but I can tell you every time I said his name, the amount of time that I said his name, there was a peace. And then I said it again, and I just kept saying it over and over. And then I started thinking about counting sheep. Now I know, just follow me. You know when you're falling, go count some sheep, you know. I started thinking of that. My mom used to tell me, go count sheep. Well, go count sheep, you know. But I just kept saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm just literally saying his name, Jesus. And that's all I could do. I end up falling asleep. I wake up, we're in Ireland. And we have what we would both tell you today, the greatest trip of our life. It was phenomenal. And since that day, I've never had another panic attack. And I'm not saying that there's something there, but I think there was, for whatever reason, that happened to me. But the reason why I tell you that today is this. I don't know if you face panic attacks or not, but I can tell you there's power in his name. But it wasn't the fact that I said his name. It was the declaring of who he was. I understood that whatever it was that was on me or in me or whatever attack was coming over me in that moment, I knew his name was greater. That had been settled in me of serving him and following him for 15 years. I knew his name is greater. So I'm clinging to him. And every time I said it, and it, I must have said it, you know, 30, 40, I literally said it until I fell asleep. Practicing his presence. This week, staff were sitting in the room and we were talking about this moment. I said, I just want to preach on peace. And uh, we were listening to some songs and the song came up. It's a song called Peace Be Still. And the author of this song, her name is Hope, she wrote this. We wrote Peace Be Still back in a season when I was really struggling with fear, anxiety, and insecurity. A friend's vulnerability opened the door to me to share the anxiety and fear I was feeling in the same season. Neither of us felt peaceful that day. But we knew God promised us peace. I love this. She wrote, so we chose to prophetically sing God's promise of peace over our lives, our hearts, and our minds that day. And she writes, it's a song that reminds you of the authority that God has over whatever you are facing and the promise of peace he speaks over your life. Hopefully, it allows you to recognize that you can trust that God is for you and with you. No matter what you are walking through, he offers you peace that passes your understanding or circumstance. In your sermon notes, there's a couple of lines that I left available for you today. We're going to sing this song, Prince of Peace, and then I'm going to come back up, or Prince, uh, Peace Be Still. But here's what we want to invite you to do. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion. But I want to invite you to do this. We, uh, 
talked about this. We said, we're going to sing this song, and we want you to stay seated. I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to write down on the sermon notes whatever worries you, whatever you're fearful of. And then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to partake in communion. And we're going to believe for peace or whatever brings you worry and fear. And maybe it's been something you've been battling all year long, and I'm going to believe in faith because of who God is, that he will bring peace into your situation today. Today is the day, it says, of salvation. Today is the day of freedom. Today is the day of healing. You do not have to wait for peace. It comes today because Jesus already died on the cross. He already paid the price for your peace. He's already given you peace, and he wants to give you his peace. Amen. And you can have it today. I want to invite you to do that. And here's why, and I'll leave you with this thought. I asked my wife if I could share this. She said I could. My wife, for two years now, right around that same time, had never had panic attacks or anxiety. But my wife has been battling anxiety and panic attacks pretty continuously over the past two years. And multiple times we've had to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And for whatever reason, hers isn't like mine where it was just one moment. It's something she battles a lot. Though to this day. So I asked her, one, if I could share that. She said yes. But I asked her a couple of days ago, I said, let me just ask you a question. What helps you practically? I want, you, I want to give the people what helps you practically as you face these panic attacks, anxiety attacks. He says, honestly, which always scares me when my wife says that word first. How often do you lie? Anyways, <laughs> that's why anytime, so don't ever tell me, well, honestly, then I think you're always lying, so don't ever say it to me. But uh, and honestly, he's like, yeah, it helps practically. Just when I get silent with him, said silence and I just get alone with him I said well that makes sense just practicing presence see because he's peace so when you get with him he calms you down because God doesn't always calm the storm but if he doesn't calm the storm he'll calm his child he'll calm one of the two he'll either calm the child or he'll calm the storm so whatever storm you're facing today I want to invite you lay your worries, cast your anxieties and your cares on him today. And then I'm going to come back up and we'll share a time of